Good morning, Transit. Good morning, Haven family. <laughs> Good morning, Haven family. God is good, and all the time, God is good, yeah. I got to remember, it's the haven, not the transit. Okay. So I'm going to be reading today's uh, scripture, and we are in John 8, uh, from verse 1 to verse 11. All right, you can read along with me, if you're already there. Um, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they say to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Solomon. No worries about transit. I've said that many a time. So nothing your pastor hasn't said before. All right. All right. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. If you haven't yet, turn to your Bibles to John 8, 1 through 11. That'll be a sermon text today. And we are continuing uh, our series entitled Love Walked Among Us, Rediscovering the Heart of Jesus, where we're just looking at these one-on-one -on -one encounters that Jesus Christ had with individuals in uh, the Gospels. As we want to know and understand the heart of God, as we look to Jesus, we want our hearts to be transformed by the love that is shown to us in him. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared the illustration of, you know, what, what are some of the main reasons we're, we're diving into this sermon series? And one of the main reasons is, is for those of us who, whose hearts uh, to the Lord have grown cold and kind of, kind of numb, we want every Sunday to come to the furious flame and heat of God's love to us shown in Christ Jesus. And by his truth, the word of God, and by the spirit, have the Lord fan into flame our affections again for him. And as we get a new heart, our hope as well as we would get God's heart is we'd also get God's vision, God's sight. And I don't know about you, um, there's a couple different views and opinions on sunglasses, on which sunglasses you should get. Should you go with the cheapos or should you go with like the $300 Oakleys, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm all about some cheapos, all right? Like sign me up. I'm in 7-Eleven, you know, do them. I'm, I'm hardly ever in 7-Eleven. But for the sake of this illustration, in 7-Eleven and cheapos, if you don't know what those are, those are like the $3 sunglasses on the rack at 7-Eleven that might have UV protection. But when you put them on with these cheapos, it, it skews everything about reality in the world. It's like this dark cloud. They're usually like super, super dark lenses. 
And there's just this dark, dreary cloud over everything. They scratch easily. So, so you just have this distort, distorted, kind of depressing view of the world. And so those are kind of the cheapos. But if you've ever put on a nice pair of sunglasses, like a really nice pair of sunglasses. So uh, my grandmother had the nicest pair of shades I've ever seen before. And I don't know if you have heard of these sunglasses, but they're called, literally called cocoons. And they were bright orange, and on the side, they had, uh, uh, you know, lenses as well. And I was driving her a while back, and I was like, hey, can I, can I just put these on to see what it would look like, these bright orange lenses? To, and, man, I slapped these things on, and they kind of look like Patrick Mahomes sunglasses, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and so I put these things on, and boom, life was like in high definition. You know, there was brightness, there was vibrancy, I saw eagles flying across the sky I've never seen before, you know? It was just like, what happened? And the reason I share that is this, is it was the exact same world. It was just a completely different perspective, a completely different perspective. And in our text today, Jesus is is looking at a sinner, someone who is caught in an act that no one should ever be caught in. And and when we are in those situations or when those on social media put us in those situations, the two options, the two sunglasses, the two lenses that are presented to us to view the sinner through are the lenses of either condemnation of social media. Hey, can you believe what all these lost people are doing and how how immoral they are? Will you pick up a stone and and post with us and, and condemn them? right? It's condemnation. Condemnation is you are a sinner, you are beyond uh, repair, and so therefore let justice fall. That's condemnation. That's what is being, that's what we're, those are the, the lenses we're being tempted to wear in the season. And the other side of the spectrum is just affir- the lenses of affirmation, of affirming sinful, destructive lifestyle, saying, hey, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. There's, there's nothing wrong with anything. There's nothing right with anything. Everything's relative. So let me just affirm whatever destructive decisions you make and not call it what it is, sinful and destructive. And, uh, you know, uh, the Lord grieves, sexual immorality grieves the Lord's heart because of the absolute devastation and destruction that that sin brings generationally. It's, it's awful. It's horrible. So it's either condemnation or affirmation. But what we see today is that the lenses that Jesus Christ views us through, the sinner through, and that we as his followers want to view the world through, those lenses are the lenses of redemption. Redemption. Looking at, yes, what is, but what could become if this individual came to receive the free forgiveness that Jesus came to give them from their sin and the freedom from their sin. And this is what we see today. We see the heart of Jesus in our text today for the sexually immoral. And as we talk about this topic, um, you know, just for the, to give you guys a disclaimer, I'm not going to talk too much about, um, I gave a sermon on this topic in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. I encourage you to go listen to that where I'm going to talk, I focus more on uh, our repentance and, 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 and what it looks like to, to begin to walk in progressive victory over these things that tempt us, so on and so forth. So I'd encourage you to go to our website, go listen to that from the Sermon on the Mount. Today I'm going to be focusing on Jesus and his response. What did Jesus do when confronted with this? And there's a, uh, a famous illustration, maybe some of you have heard it, whenever a pastor kind of talks about this topic of, of sexual immorality or, or, or purity, is the famous illustration is a pastor will hold up a rose, a really beautiful red rose. And he'll say, hey, I'm going to pass this 
throughout the congregation. I want everyone to kind of smell the rose, feel the, feel the petals, and, 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 and just pass it along, and then it'll work its way through the crowd, maybe thousands of people there, and then a volunteer will come and bring this rose back on stage to the pastor. And the pastor talking about the importance of purity for God's people will we'll hold this rose up now. It was once beautiful, pristine, and now it's been, uh, it's kind of damaged goods. The stem's broken, the leaves are withered, uh, and, uh, and hardly there. And the pastor looks at the congregation and goes, now who do you think would ever want this rose? And the idea with the pastor sharing that illustration is this, is don't be promiscuous because nobody wants you. Because you're damaged goods. You've sinned too much. Everyone's disgusted with you. Who would ever want this? And then he preaches a sermon on why you should be, at that being the motivation, of why you should pursue purity and holiness. And if we were to ask Jesus, if we were to hold that rose representing someone who's lived a promiscuous lifestyle, who wants the rose? Jesus says, I want the rose. I want the rose. Give that one to me. That's what I want because I restore. I bring redemption. I bring healing. I bring cleansing. Bring me that rose. That's the heart of Jesus. And that's, Haven family, that's the reason all of us are here. Whether God saved us out of sexual immorality or self-righteousness, all of us are here is because Jesus said, I want that one. I want the rose. The one that's wilted and bent and, 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 and quote-unquote damaged goods or beyond repair, Jesus says, no, I'm going to redeem and rescue and restore, restore that one. So four points of my talk, and then we'll pray and dive in. Four points of my talk that we see Jesus do. We see one, Jesus stooped to deflect her humiliation. Jesus stood in her defense. Jesus silenced her accusers, and Jesus spoke a new identity over her. Let's pray and dive on in. Heavenly Father, we, we, we come before you grateful, Lord God, for your heart shown to us in Christ Jesus. It's amazing how skewed our perspective can be of you, even for those that have been following you for a long, long time. And so I pray, Lord, that you would renew minds and renew hearts today to help us to see you right like we sang about in worship. You are for me, not against me. Do we really believe that? And, and if we truly believe that as your children, God, that you are for us and not against us, what would that mean for how we live? So God, I pray that you would heal and restore the broken. You call those bound in the, in the secret uh, 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 sin of, of sexual immorality. Would you call them to... To, to new life, to repentance, to the healing that you can only bring, and those that are, struggle, that, are, that are stuck in the stronghold of shame and condemnation, head always in the dirt. Yes, I belong, but I don't really belong. God, would you bring healing there, Jesus? Would you just have your way? Would you open the eyes of our heart to see you rightly? And as we're transformed, would you give us new sight, new vision to see the lost, to see the broken the way you see them in the way that you have looked at us in our condition, God. While we were still sinners, you went to the cross and died for us. So I pray, Lord, that you would increase and I would decrease. And all God's people said, amen. All right, Jesus stooped to deflect her humiliation. And so the setting of our text is that uh, Jesus is, is in the temple. Crowds have gathered. 
He's talking about what's his message about the kingdom of God. He's talking about the grace of God. And it's kind of similar probably to, to a crowd like this, right? And then out of nowhere, what happens is, like, like imagine those back doors, boom, kick open. And some religious leaders, maybe from like, say, a church down the street, come in with a woman they caught in adultery. And they're trying to like trap me. And they walk all the way to the front. And they place her right here so everyone can see her. And they challenge Jesus. And they say, this woman was caught in this act. What do you say? What are you going to do about it? Right? What they did was they kind of had a chessboard. And they rigged it. And any move that Jesus made was checkmate. And they said, here you go. And so these guys are trying to get Jesus into a trap. They're trying to get him in a double bind. These religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, out of jealousy, out of maybe good intentions of wanting to honor their understanding of uh, the scriptures, they hated Jesus, hated Jesus to the extent that they'd be willing to do this act. And so the double bind is this. They, 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 they stop Jesus' service. They interrupt it. They come right to the front. It says in the text, they place this woman who she was caught in the act, probably wasn't uh, let's say, dressed accordingly, right? Probably humiliated in front of a lot of people. And the two options that they're presenting Jesus is either one, you agree with us about what God's word says about uh, uh, those who commit adultery and what they deserve. And if you agree, we hand you a stone and we say, you first, Jesus, you first. You agree with us? Okay, so you big preacher of grace and redemption, here you go. You throw the first stone and then we'll join you, Right? Or the other option is Jesus doesn't agree with them, and then he's a heretic because he doesn't hold to the law of Moses. So either way, they caught, they caught Jesus in kind of a, a pickle, right? What's Jesus going to do? This is, this is a gotcha moment by the Pharisees. But here's the insidious nature of this. If you read commentaries and biblical scholars and study this text, is that the, the legal system at the time, you needed two to three eyewitnesses to verify an act, but not just verify an act on hearsay or just like, hey, I saw them alone. No, those witnesses actually had to see certain things that were taking place, to put it whatever, okay? So the odds of two to three witnesses actually ever being, pre- you know what I'm saying, like are astronomical. And so what most scholars that I, that I read are in agreement upon is that, is that these insidiously evil religious leaders, out of the spite and hatred they had for Jesus, set this woman up. They had a trap set, they had the witnesses set, and, uh, and were willing to use her as a pawn in their game. Her humiliation, her shame, her reputation, her very life they were willing to put at risk in order for them to finally get Jesus to shut his mouth and stop doing ministry. It's awful. It is like so, so evil. That's their heart. That's why they were doing this. And so the million dollar question as Jesus has been asked the question, and everyone's there, and it's all silent. And the question is, well, what's Jesus going to say? How is Jesus going to respond? And the very first thing that we see Jesus do, I love this. I love this. He doesn't care about their chess match. He cares about covering this woman's shame and her humiliation. And so what does he do? He immediately goes low. He gets, he gets, you know, he gets on the ground, apparently, and he begins to doodle. He stoops. And he doodles, right? Now, if I just did that and I'm writing something on the ground, where does all your attention go, right? The focus is on what's Pastor Nick writing right now, right? 
And so, you know, no one knows, right? But if you've heard this, this text preached before, read commentaries, everyone's, everyone's trying to guess. Jesus, what were you writing, right? Was it the sins of the Pharisees? You know, self-righteousness. Was it like a, a verse from the, the, the Old Testament? Like, you know, we all like sheep have, have gone astray, each of us are our own way with the Lord. Like, what, you know, was it, was it something like that? And in my opinion, as I've studied this, I don't think Jesus was writing like a, a verse or what I think he was doing a, a, a funny sketch of the Pharisees in their funny outfits. It was just, <laughs> hey guys, hey, turn to the left a little bit, Shmuel. Okay, okay, okay. You know, like, just kidding. If that was me and I had artistic ability, I'd be like, you know, that would not, that's what I'd be doing. We don't know. We have no idea what he was writing, but we do know in that moment, as I just illustrated to you, if someone goes low and begins to draw on the ground, what's happening is all eyes are on that individual now. And it infuriated <laughs> the Pharisees. We just asked you a question, and you're not even responding, right? But do you, do you see the heart of God, of wanting to clothe our nakedness, of wanting to cover our humiliation? See, Jesus, his first response was not the argument, not his reputation, not getting trapped, was, I need to, well, I need to do something to cover her humiliation, and her shame. That's what I care about most. The Pharisees wanted to expose and exploit her humiliation. Jesus wanted to cover her shame. And that's what we see in the garden when Adam and Eve clearly disobey God and sin and, and they're overwhelmed with their, their nakedness and, and, and their shame. And, and what does God do? God sacrifices an animal and it's God himself who provides a covering for their humiliation, a covering for their sin, a covering for their guilt. God is the one who covers our shame and covers our humiliation. That is the heart of God. Isaiah 61, 10, talking about this coming Messiah and the work he was going to do. The prophet says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Do you all realize what you're wearing today in Christ Jesus? Like, I don't know about you, but you get ready for a wedding, you put on like a really good suit. You're like, man, this feels good, right? I look good, right? You know, like you put on that suit, got the tie, you know, the, the, the watch matching the belt, matching the shoes kind of a little. Yeah, anyways, no guy, can you get an amen for one of you guys? Okay, amen, I got, I got one of you. A sound booth, Vashon, you got me, all right. Uh, do you realize what we're, we're, Jesus has come and, and, and covered us, covered, you know, like, or the, the opposite illustration would be like, you know what it's like to, to not have nice clothes, right? And to have like holes or like a coffee stain, like all my shirts have coffee stains on them, you know? Or, or, or now that I have four kids, it has some kind of stain to do with a kid, right? And so only on Sunday mornings can I wear nice, nice clothes. Um, and you know what that feels like, but, but in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly places, you and I are clothed, we're covered. Our shame, our nakedness, our sin has been atoned for and covered by the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ. That's his heart. That's his heart. It's not to uh, uh, expose and, and to continue to, to shame us, but to invite us out of sin and out of the humiliation and into his provision for our sins. Beautiful. That's his heart. That's why he descends. He descends. He, he stoops down to deflect that humiliation, all eyes on Jesus and not on that woman in the midst. And the second thing we see Jesus do here is he stood in her defense. Uh, as Jesus silently stoops and he's, he's, he's sketching on the ground, the Pharisees have to be going nuts because they ask Jesus a question and he's completely ignoring them, 
right? And then it says in verse 7, we kind of get this impression from our text. It says, as they continued to ask him, Jesus finally stood up. And I bet in that moment, Jesus talking to the Father, saying, all right, Father, like, here's the trap. Here's the setup. What's the, how do I, what do I do here in this moment? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to throw my pearls before swine. They don't actually give a rip about God's law. They don't care about purity. This is a trap. It's sinful. They're murderous in their resentment towards me, and they're using this woman to come catch me. What, what are you saying? So Jesus stands up, and a mic drop moment. He stands up, and if Jesus is stooping down, and you've been pestering him, and he finally stands up, like probably slowly, it's not going to be good for you, right? Like it's, it's like, okay, we messed up, okay? And so he stands up, and this is what he says. Let him who is without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. And that is, hands down, one of the best mic drop gotcha moments of Jesus to the Pharisees in the Gospels. Like, that is like Jordan slam dunking over the head of a defender over the Pharisees. That, that line right there. Let him who is without sin. Because what Jesus is doing in that moment is he's saying, okay, hey, like, there's a million, there's a, there's a, there's an eternity of difference between you and I believing the same things and you and I wanting the same things. And so I, every, every, every dot and iota of the law of Moses will be fulfilled. It's inspired by God. I'm going to fulfill it. God is holy. Sinners are not. And there's a consequence for sin. We're in agreement there. My question to you is, do you understand that the position that this woman is in before holy and just God is the position all you all are in? And so what would you want? Would you want justice? Would you want stones? Or would you want salvation? Would you want judgment and condemnation or redemption and mercy? Because what Jesus says, he says, hey, y'all are in the midst before the Holy Son of God deserving of punishment for your sins. What do you want? Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. I mean, that's a bold move because what if there's some like super proud Pharisee? They're like, I mean, that's kind of a bold move. The woman's probably hearing that being like, that's his defense? Like, oh my gosh, you know? And it was brilliant. It was beautiful. In an instant, he revealed the hearts of absolutely everyone in that crowd. What do you want, Pharisees? What do you want for those that are caught in the stronghold of sin? Do you want, do you want redemption? Do you want humiliation? Or do you want restoration that I came, the Messiah came to bring? And if you put yourself in this woman's shoes, up until this point, she had no idea what Jesus was going to do. Like, she knows that she's, like, the Pharisees are here, and she's kind of at the mercy of, of the Pharisees, but the Pharisees are going to Jesus, and Jesus is this woman's last chance for mercy, right? Last chance for help. And this woman who doesn't know Jesus, and Jesus doesn't know this woman, this woman has no idea if Jesus is going to kind of step over the plate and take one on the chin for a sinner who was caught kind of red-handed, who doesn't, you know, who, who he doesn't know at all. Why would this guy do that? I'm toast. I literally am at the mercy of those in front of me. And so I, uh, my freshman year of college, not my best year, uh, I got a speeding ticket on 81, going northbound 81. I was coming back from JMU. My friend and I were going down there uh, to hang out with uh, some of our friends, and we're, we're coming back, 81 northbound. I have my Jeep Wrangler. Love that car. It's awesome. We're blasting Led Zeppelin, and I pass this 18-wheeler, and ends up I'm going 82 in a 65, and um, a state trooper saw that and decided to pull me over. And so I get pulled over, 
And my dad was a police officer for, you know, 30 years, and he gave me, the second I started driving, he gave me the pep talk. When you're pulled over, this is what you do, you know, so on and so forth. Res respect, honor, don't do any steady movements, all that stuff. So I, I went through kind of the script, even after I got the ticket, thanked the officer, you know, for, for her service and all that stuff, and then put my head on the steering wheel once he drove away. I was like, my dad's going to kill me. And that's exactly what happened. I was not happy. I won't talk about what, how, what happened there. But... I had to go to court. I think it was, a, it was a W in the Shenandoah Valley. So I had to go to court in Winchester or Woodstock. I forget. It was a long time ago. But I'm in the courtroom now. And the judge calls me forward to kind of the, the bench, if you will, in this old historic country, you know, uh, courtroom. So I'm there uh, standing before, before the judge. I mean, completely guilty as charged, like radar, 82, rec I mean, it's reckless. And then the state trooper is right there, the state trooper. And the judge doesn't even look at me. He's just looking at the state trooper. And he's talking to the state trooper. And somewhere along the lines, the judge says something to the effect of, so tell me what happened and tell me about this individual. And, this, and at that moment, the state trooper has the ability to be like, this guy's a punk and he should be put in jail, right? Like he could totally said that, right? And in that moment, I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, he just asked the state trooper. I didn't know this is how this thing works. And then the state trooper's like, your honor, this is what happened. Uh, over the, the course of our interaction, the, 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 the individual was uh, respectful and courteous, you know, whatever, like the, the whole course of the conversation. And, I, and, I, and as he's saying that, I'm like looking over, like trying to be cool, but like, did he just vouch for me? Like, okay, okay. like be still, like, what, this guy doesn't know me? Why did he vouch for me, you know? That was crazy. Like, I, and I was like, okay, well, I was kind of respectful. Yeah, I was kind of respectful. Okay, be cool, be cool, right? And so then the judge looks at me after a state trooper just kind of advocated for me, this judge looks at me and goes, hey, based off what he said, and you have no prior, you know, speeding tickets, I'm going to bump this down from an 82 to a 79. You're still going to have to take an eight-hour driving course. Uh, if you've ever had to take those, man, they try to scare you straight, and, they, and it works. <laughs> so I had to take one of those, and I still got a speeding ticket, but I, got, I didn't lose my license. I didn't go to jail, you know, uh, whatever. And the reason I share that is for this woman, the second that Jesus... When he opens his mouth, nobody knows what he's going to say. And this woman is like, if, I'm literally at the mercy of Jesus. He's, she, she's not paying him as a lawyer. Jesus is risking his own reputation. And he advocates. He defends. He, he pleads her case. Not that he doesn't side with the Pharisees. He sides with the woman caught in adultery. And 1 John 2, 1 says this about our Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a, say it with me, a advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. An advocate is simply one who pleads another's cause, who helps another by defending them. An advocate is someone who is for you, someone who's got your back, someone who will stick out their neck for you and my question to us this morning is do we believe this is the heart of jesus towards his people do we believe this and often we, our view of jesus our relationship with him is like oh wait he's not the advocate the voice of christ in my life is the accuser right and that's the greatest trick the devil plays for the people of god is replacing the accuser's constant accusations of shame and self-hatred and disgust, thinking that's your advocate, that Jesus isn't your advocate uh, uh, speaking on behalf of your defense and your redemption and your forgiveness, but is speaking, is trying your case constantly. That's not the heart of Christ. What we learn about the heart of God 
is when Jesus was given the opportunity, the only sinless one in this, in this text today who could have thrown the stone, he didn't cast the stone at the, at the sinner, but stood in her defense and stood in her defense to take the hit that she deserved to the cross, to the point of death, so that uh, her, her punishment would be credited to his account so that she could go free from her sins. That is our advocate. That is the heart of God, and that is insane. I don't know about you, but uh, if you've ever been in a legal mess, it's hard to get someone legally. It's a lot of money to get legal representation, and yet let alone to find someone who's good enough to get you legal representation. But Jesus, towards his people, is constantly pleading their case, advocating, silencing the voice of the accuser. And there's this awesome quote I share at every wedding. So if, you, if I've married you, you've heard this quote before, but I'm going to share it. It's by Roy Hessian. This is what he says. I love it. Left to ourselves, our guilty consciences only tell us that God is against us, that he is the God with the big stick. There is nothing to draw us to a God like that. But the cross of the Lord Jesus gives the lie to all of this and shows us God as he really is. We see him not charging us with our sins, but as we would have thought, but charging them to his son for our sakes. What we thought was the big stick was really his outstretched arm of love beckoning us back to himself. And so in the face of Jesus Christ, marred for us, we see that God is not against the sinner, but for him. He is not his enemy, but his friend, that in Christ he has not set new and unattainable standards, but has come to offer forgiveness and peace and new life to those who, watch this, have fallen down on every standard there is. And that's what leads us to our third point. He silences the voice of this woman's accusers just as much as Jesus Christ has silenced the voice of our accuser when we have fallen down on every standard there is. Third point, Jesus silenced her accusers. Verses 9 through 11, but when they heard it, the Pharisees, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one. No one, Lord, no one. And in an instant, Jesus, in an instant in this woman's life, we have no idea the hardship as a kid, what she had to navigate, what road that she had to walk to end up at this moment where she encounters Jesus face to face. We have no idea. But in an instant, Jesus stands in her defense and silences every hate-filled, accusatory uh, uh, voice of the Pharisees. And they all walk away, starting with the older ones. Read wiser. The older ones who've been around the block and they know that they need grace, that they do not stand holy and righteous before God. They walk away and everyone joins them. Now here's what is critically important to see in our text today. The woman never speaks a word in her own defense. The first time that we see this woman speak is in response to Jesus Christ who first spoke on her behalf. She says, no one, Lord, you did it. You silenced their voices. And she calls him, confesses him rightly, Lord, Messiah, Savior, 
king. And when someone professes Jesus as Lord, it's signing up to say, I'm your servant. If you're forgiving me and you just saved my life, I'm with you, right? You are Lord, confesses his lordship. The reason I want to hone in on this is often for those of us historically who have wrestled with shame and the crippling attacks of, of just the internal onslaught of, of the voices of you are such a piece of garbage, you're a filthy sinner, you're probably not even saved, God hates you, God's disgusted with you. And the question is, well, well how do we make those voices stop? Like, and, and there's a multifaceted approach to, 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 to kind of uh, unraveling that stronghold of shame in our lives. But here's what you don't do, is try to flex and defend yourself. That's what we don't do, because there's a much better way to silence the voice of shame. And what we see in our text is when you and I stop trying to be our own advocate, that's when we can tag in Jesus to be our advocate. The second a sinner pleads guilty is when Jesus comes in to advocate for him. But if you and I do our best to plead not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, we're saying, Jesus, you're not my advocate. Jesus, you're not my savior. I got this, right? And so uh, a while back, I shared this illustration before, but man, I think it just, it really hones in on what we're talking about here. Uh, I had a mentor, I still have a, fr- a mentor friend of mine, lives out of state now, 20 years my senior, very wealthy, great man of God, uh, God gifted him with a great career. God told him to work 10 more years to make a lot of money to fund the war effort for the kingdom of God. And he did that. And about 10 years ago, um, he took me and, and two other guys who were in ministry to the PNC Club at Nat Stadium. Anyone been to the PNC Club at National Stadium? Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to flex. Okay, be like, I'm the only one. Okay. Cause, cause, because here's the deal. Your boy ain't never getting, ain't paying his own way to get into the PNC Club. Okay. And so we got seats right behind home plate. And in the PNC club, you, you, you have your, your little badge, your ticket, and you cross the turnstile into like, you know, a land flowing with milk and honey, okay? Like expensive wine and drinks, uh, that good coffee there, uh, uh, like, you know, um, uh, really good roast beef and wings and like really, really good food, like awesome food. Not like the food in the nosebleeds, like the, the nasty hot dogs. I'm talking like really, really good food, and it never ended. It never ended to the extent that as you're sitting there in the PNC club and behind home plate, they had like waiters and waitresses, not a beer guy, but you had a menu that was unlimited. So I had like seven boxes of Cracker Jacks the entire game. It was awesome. Like I had Cracker Jacks in like 20 years. I was like, Cracker Jacks? I'm at a baseball game? Absolutely. Like, like sign me up. Now imagine in the moment, one of the staffers there saw me, right? And they're like, hey, 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 yo, 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 hey, man. There's no way, there's no way you belong here. You don't fit here. Show me evidence of why you belong in this PNC club right now. What's your net worth, you know? How did you, how did you purchase your way in here, right? My defense wouldn't be, oh yeah, you know, you know who I am? I drive a 07 Highlander, that's right. You know, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna flex. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna point to the guy at the end of the table and say, you see that guy? You have an issue with me being here, take it up with him. He invited me, and he paid my fare in full to be here. And so, oh, by the way, uh, my, my box of Cracker Jacks is empty. Go get me another one. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? And so the way we deflect the voice of the accuser is not, hey, I'm guilty as charged. I have nothing to say in my defense before a holy and just God. If you have an issue, oh, accuser of the brethren, take it up with the man who is hanging on that tree for my sin, because on the cross he said, it is finished. So that's the land I live in. 
have an issue. Hey, the woman, she never tries to join Jesus and be like, yeah, it wasn't really that bad of a sin. She was caught. She had nothing to say in her defense. And that's a beautiful place to be because Jesus can get tagged in. Say, let's go, come with me. I want the ribs. I'm gonna clean you up. I'm gonna free you up. Come with me, right? This is uh, from Zechariah 3. I love this. This beautiful picture of what's happening in the heavenly places with Joshua the high priest and the kingdom of darkness, the accuser, versus the kingdom of God. The prophet gets this vision. He says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And watch this. And the Lord said to Satan, I completely agree with you. Get that high priest out of my face. I want nothing to do with him. That's not what the Lord said about his chosen high priest. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand that I have plucked from the fire? And now Joshua is standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. Notice, Joshua is silent. He's not speaking in his defense. And the angel said, remove those garments from him. And behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I, I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said to him, let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Do you see the heart of God for his people? Towards the voice, the accusatory voice. What does the Lord say? Twice the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Two times. What does is, what is rebuke you mean? It means shut your filthy mouth, Satan. Don't you dare bring that garbage about, about my, my chosen ones. About, about the ones that I've covered, that I've redeemed. The, the Lord rebuke you, you shut up. That's what it is. Silences the voice of the accuser. And when those thoughts come, we direct those thoughts to, to, to the cross, that rugged cross, my salvation. That's, that's how we plead our case. That's who we point to, Jesus Christ, our righteousness. This is the heart of God towards his people He's radically for us. Romans 8, he who has given us his son, how much more will he not also give us all things? Do you believe this? That that is God's heart. This is the heart of Jesus for his people, radically for you. And lastly, I'll close with this, this last one. We see Jesus spoke a new identity over her. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And watch this. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See, Jesus doesn't just silence the voice of the accuser. He speaks a new identity over us. He silences the, 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 the accusations of, of condemned, damaged goods, beyond repair, and then he speaks a new identity after silencing those voices, and he says, cleansed, forgiven, set free, redeemed, not rejected, not forsaken, but accepted. You belong, a child of God. Jesus saw this woman through the lens of redemption and not condemnation. And what's beautiful about Jesus is he doesn't just offer us the forgiveness of sins. He didn't just extend that to her, but also gave her um, freedom, freedom, freedom from sin as well. 
And he says, neither do I condemn you, but go now and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. The three things that Jesus comes in, in our relationship to sin to set us free from one, he frees us from the penalty, the past penalty of our sin, the present power of our sin, Romans 6. You give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit fills you. Sin takes a back seat. It's no longer on the saddle. The Holy Spirit's on the saddle of your will. And so now sin will no longer have dominion over you because Jesus Christ has forgiven you and given you the power, the dominion over sin by his forgiveness, by his spirit, by his truth. And then there's coming a day when God will fully deliver us from the presence, the presence of sin. And so my invitation for those of you today who are, who are caught in the, in, in, in the snare of, of sexual immorality, would today, would you say yes to the invitation to come into the light. A sin that is hidden is a sin that, that, that won't be healed. It's a sin that will just continue to, 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 to cause a poisonous infection in our hearts. And so as the Lord prompts you today, if, if you're caught in sin, the invitation of Jesus isn't to just affirm that because it's destructive. It's, it's gonna, it destroys everything. Sin destroys everything. The invitation is to confess, bring it to the light, come to me, come to your community group leaders, and then uh, through discipleship, through that's what being that's when Jesus says, "Come and follow me." He's saying, "Sign up to be a lifelong student, a lifelong learner." And Jesus, through the the fellowship of the saints and for the the stuff that we can provide for you, prayer and counsel and discipleship, that God will grant you progressive victory over things that have been enslaving you. So that would be the invitation to repentance today. And the band, you can you can come on forward. Uh, we're going to take communion. And so if you need uh, communion elements, they're in uh, the hallway. And we invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, in good standing with your church to participate in the Lord's Supper um, with us. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a final Passover meal with his disciples. And he took bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. Drink this wine, which will represent my blood, my life being poured out as an offering to, to, to cleanse you from your sins. Take this wine, which represents my blood, shed for your sins. And um, as most of you know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. And in case you didn't know, the commanders are not in that game tonight. Um, <laughs> um, and here's what's going to happen tonight. One of two cities, either Kansas City or San Francisco, are going to be celebrating like they have never celebrated before. They're going to be going to the streets. They're going to be jumping up and down. They're going to be singing songs. They're going to have their hands in the air. It's going to be one of the best days of their life because of the victory that their team won. And, and I couldn't help but think of what's our response when, when, for those of us here today, the judge of the living and the dead, Jesus Christ, the judge of the world, for those of us that have said yes to his free gift of salvation purchased through his death on the cross for our sins, the, number, the, the best thing that a ruined sinner can ever hear the judge of the living and dead proclaim over their life is this, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And so as we hear that and we believe it and we take it by faith and we receive it, what's the response? And with communion, in a way, as we celebrate together the body of believers gathering and celebrating communion, what we're doing is we're watching the replay of the match between Christ our King and uh, our enemies, the accuser, and our sin. That Christ, we're, we're watching, it's the rematch 
Okay, so here's Christ. Here's uh, the accuser and our sin and, and all the separation from God. And, 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 and how did this victory come about? Through Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf so that he took our sin and took the wrath so that we go free. And now we just get to, to, to celebrate that, to remember that. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget the victory that I have accomplished for you, that Jesus Christ stood in our defense. Jesus Christ has silenced the voice of our accuser. Jesus Christ has spoken a new identity over us. And we celebrate that today by taking communion, the replay of what Jesus has done for us, coming out victorious against our greatest enemies. And the response is grateful hearts to God. The, the, the white, knuckling, white knuckling, nauseating lifestyle of constantly pleading our case doesn't have to be that way anymore because we have the tangible evidence that it is finished, our salvation is secure, and our sins are forgiven. So let me pray, and then we'll worship and take communion together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the fact that you don't want us broken and you don't want us bound. But you want us restored and you want us set free. So much so, Jesus, so much so that you would leave heaven's throne. There has been no greater descent of anyone in history of you leaving your throne and entering into our world to save ruined sinners. And you came and entered into our brokenness and entered into our sin. And you said, credit it all to my account, place it all on my shoulders and I'll take the hit so that you can be free, so that you can be healed and restored and redeemed. That's your heart is redemption. That's your heart is restoration. That's your heart for us today. So would we partner with you and say, yes, Jesus. Would we say, amen, meaning let it be in my life, Lord. Let it be. So would you in this moment in prayer before communion and as people come forward for prayer after the service, Jesus, would you the healer? Would Jesus, you the redeemer? Jesus, you the restorer? Would you come by your spirit and restore what is broken? Would you break chains that Jesus only you can break? And when we leave here rejoicing that we no longer have to listen to those voices. When our king has said, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.